Nice of you to join us this morning. Good morning. Oh, man. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, the new iPhone now tells you, it reminds you, it says, hey, like the past five years, you get up every Monday morning at 8 o'clock. Do you want to do that again tomorrow? You guys notice that? Like, if you don't set like a, I don't, I don't make it every single Monday, wake up at eight, like it's not on my phone, but the phone started noticing that. And it's like, Hey, want to set your time tomorrow? Huh? Huh? Big fella. You want to like wake up at eight? (laughs) Your phone calls you big fella. fella? Yeah. And then I'll always say, Oh yeah. Thanks. Thanks. iPhone. Thanks for reminding me. Little fella. And last night, (laughs) last night that never happened. It never got that reminder. Mm. Never, but like, there's no reason why I shouldn't just have wake up every Monday, you know. Hey Siri, wake me up every Monday. Oh, she just jumped in. Everybody listening, their phones just went beep beep. Yep, yep. <laughs> wake me up every Monday at eight o'clock. I've set an alarm for eight p.m. starting today. Oh, ooh, you have the British voice, and it said. Do you notice what just happened? It set it for eight p.m. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I'll see you guys tonight at 8. Great. (laughs) (laughs) I'll fix that later. Uh, No, you won't. No, you should do it right now, because you won't fix it later. It'll just go off at 8 o'clock tonight, and you'll be like, oh, that stupid phone, and then it'll go off tomorrow or next week. The problem is now it's set for 8 p.m. every Monday for the rest of its life. Yeah, you'll just ignore it from now on. (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't use the, uh, the alarm that's built in. I have like a sleep app that I use and I've always had my alarm in that. So my, my iPhone wouldn't realize that I would got up at a certain time, but you oh know, my. anyway, did you sleep? Well, that's the important thing. I slept extremely well. Good. David, what did you do this weekend? You got up on time. <laughs> I did. I cooked bacon this morning and everything. I'm ready to go. Didn't do a whole lot this weekend. Mostly hung around the house. Got some stuff done around the house. Um, the On Friday, we put out the corner table video, which came out really good. And as I was telling Bob before we hit record, our the welding on that table, uh, Dan and I looked at it when we were done. And Dan goes, you're not going to win any awards for that. And I was like, you are, you are right. And on camera, <laughs> I would explain, like, I'm still learning. Don't just give me a chance. I'm still learning. But when I went to go edit the video, none of it showed up. Like there's not enough detail. It's not close enough. And so I'm like, oh, I'll just cut that apart out and make it look like I know what I'm doing. Um, so just know that the table is perfectly fine. I've got some good penetration. It's just not pretty. But this week, my buddy Joel, who's a professional fabricator, he's coming over and we're going to shoot a video on getting started in welding and and what you need to look for. And he's going to help me with my technique because it's going to be really important here in a couple of weeks when I start tacking and welding the go-kart together because that's got to be safe mm. for me and the other mm. people. And if it's not good... Yeah, there's. I can't. I can't. I can't race it. So, I need to. I need to get my technique down before before then. So, Joel Washing, uh, he's gonna come over and he's he's gonna he's gonna hold my hand again, and we're gonna we're gonna get it all on camera. Very good. Yeah. Is he gonna hold the hand that's holding the welding torch, or the other hand? Yes, <laughs> both of them. He's, <laughs> he, be, yeah, it's okay. gonna be that oh. the Patrick Swayze ghost scene. Oh, yeah. It's cool. gonna be. We'll have some nice music playing in the background. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh man, that's awesome. We talked about this off off camera that it, you know it it is totally different to have somebody who knows what they're doing <clears throat> give you like five minutes of dedicated teaching, you know, like hands-on experience with somebody rather than just fumbling around. It takes you so much less time. You're getting immediate um, feedback. Give, yeah, exactly. You can see rather than like waiting a week or two weeks and then getting feedback from the YouTube comments when your mind is in an entirely different place. I had tons of people tell me that, oh, you should go, you know, work with Alex Steele when you're doing the blacksmithing for the first time. I'm like, well, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I would love to. He lives somewhere else. And I did this three weeks ago. <laughs> so, you know, like it, it doesn't work. But having somebody there that can give you just a few minutes of instruction hands on is awesome, which is probably why the classes are such a success for you, Jimmy, because people were getting that in a group. Mm-hmm. No, that's no, great. I say it all the time. When I first learned my ShopBot CNC, I tried playing with the software by myself. I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't go to the YouTube videos. I just tried to make it on my own. And then I was so confused. I sat with somebody, one of the teachers at Maker Fair, and I sat with her for five minutes. And that was my whole entire education. And from there, it got started. So that five minutes of clarity, clearing up some stuff that I had learned playing with it on my own, it got me completely on my way. So sometimes it just takes a few minutes of somebody saying, hey, do this, do that. I was on a podcast this weekend, and uh, you guys know Aaron, Mr. Fix-It? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was on Aaron's podcast and uh we'll we'll link it in the in the show notes. The name of the show escapes me right now. Sorry, Aaron. Um I was on that podcast and uh we we were talking about um you know, I, I actually forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> I'm so- I think you'd need to go make some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we talked about uh we talked about instruction, but there was a specific thing and I forgot. His his podcast is called the Homeschooled, right? Podcast. All right, is that right? I had somebody hold my hand a year ago when I was taking the class, and that was my pretty much my first experience welding. And the the instructor he got me going. Now it's a year later, a year plus later, <clears throat> I've got some hours underneath me, and so I understand it more. And I think the second hold, hand holding thing is really going to like it's going to stick this time because. Now I know what it feels like, and I just have some experience. So I'm looking forward to Joel coming over here and <laughs> and making sure uh, um, I'm going to have a, a safe and solid go-kart, and we'll get a video out of it. So that means today, if he, he might be coming over tomorrow when Dan is here. That means, um, and so I we don't have the video completely planned out, but we'll, we'll probably just like weld a couple pieces together and then i'll also have some tubing together like that'll simulate me building the go-kart and and kind of hold my hand through welding two pieces of tubing together which means i have to get my tube notcher put together today so mm-hmm. i can have some pieces cut and ready to go when when he gets here did you buy I, um, a tube notcher like a fancy tube notcher online or did you buy a simple one because there's all different versions a, of it a, a simple one it's made by a company called jd squared and it's just oh yeah basically yeah, yeah. A, I knew that one. It's actually a really good one. It's like a little yeah. vice, basically, that you yeah. put your drill in, and you have a, um, uh, I forget what the what the bit. It looks like a hole saw bit. Yeah, basically, it's end. a hole saw. And a tube notcher cuts the notch at the end of a tube, so it can intersect another tube of the correct diameter. So yes, yeah. looks like a. Some people call it a fish mouth. When yep. you're when you're yeah yeah oh yeah okay um 
So I got to get that put together so I can have some pieces ready. So that's what I'll be doing after the podcast today. Did you get a two bender too? Did you get like a bender? I did. Also a JD squared two bender. And that's all put together. And I've used that. And it's awesome. There's a, there's a, it takes a lot of force when you bend tube. And the one I got, you're, it's made to use by hand. But for that to work, it has to be bolted to the concrete. And I didn't want to drill holes and have it bolted into my garage. So I got a hydraulic jack for it that hooks up to the air compressor. So it's on a wheeled stand mm. and and I can just turn on the air compressor and it comes with this little this little trigger and you just press it and it bends and then you just let go when you get to the angle that you need to go. And then I can wheel it back when I'm when I'm not using it. it adds a lot of cost like doubles the cost of it and it's not necessary but i didn't want to drill into my garage floor yeah no that's cool that's really cool yeah it seems like a lot more flexible option though than having to have something like that hard mounted yeah unless you were using it all the time you know yeah. but in, even then if you're using it all the time having a compressor do the work for you would make a lot more sense yeah it does annually. i will say the compressor doing the work for you actually takes longer than doing it by hand oh because it's it's a it's a pretty slow process, and then the compre- you know the compressor is loud and and everything, and if you're doing it by hand, you're you know you just got this big extension tube, and you're just kind of pulling it and pushing it away from you, and you actually need more more um, a, a bigger footprint if you do it by hand because you have that that lever. arm coming out, yeah, the lever, oh yeah, and so it doesn't take up quite. I'm the, picturing quite some go kart styled furniture in the future. Well, I got so much. Tu- I got, I got enough tubing go to couch. do. Yeah, yeah, the go couch. Yes, I like that <laughs> couch with a K. Um, I got so much tubing. I got enough to do two carts, but I'm not going to do two carts. I just needed some to practice on, and just in case I make mistakes. And so I'm hoping, and it's an inch and a quarter that I can make some furniture out of it in in the future. So I didn't want to get the the bender because it was quite an investment just for one thing so i'm going to figure out how to use it in future projects although i will have to get you have to get separate dies for different diameters otherwise i'll be building everything out of inch and a quarter tubing right now and it can mm. also bend square and tubing. Even, that's cool oh, that's cool so but even for the notcher you would have to get a different size different diameter bit right or or do you have an oversized bit that you move in and out? No, oh, you, you know, it's a different size bit. The the bit is yeah. just the um, it's like a, the nine dollar um, bit that you would get from Home Depot. Oh, whole saw. Okay, it's not a specialized. Yeah, whole saw. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Right on, Jimmy. What what did you do this week? Uh, besides oversleep, I worked on. I slept all weekend. I I started two really cool projects. I I started a project of a brass hammer. My neighbor has been my, my neighbor where my workshop is. He 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 scraps metal, so he always has a big pile of metal outside, and of course I'm always picking at it. And the other day there was this big brass, not big, it was like maybe three foot brass coat hook that's meant to hang on the wall. That's kind of opulent looking, like turn of the century, gross looking re- reproduction of a coat hook. And it was all made in brass. I was like, whoa, this whole thing is brass. So I fired up the forge and we shot melting it. It was on my Instagram stories. We melted it into a cube. And then I'm going to take the cube and machine it into a hammer. So that, I started that project. And then I started this project on the Wazer, which is uh, this machine that is a water jet, a home desk water jet. I got the machine a year ago, and I was obligated to make a video with it and everything, and I haven't done it. And 
I just, I got scared of the machine, which kind of leads into what we're going to talk about today. I was a little nervous of, of the getting started, like fear of learning something new. It wasn't even a fear. It was almost like a, oh God, something else to try and remember how to use. That's really what it was more than anything. It wasn't, it wasn't scared of it. It was just like, oh, so many things to try and remember. It's like remembering a thousand phone numbers. And anyway, so recently they contacted me and like gave me a gentle nudge. And so I was like, you know what, let me stop playing with it. And I really had a lot of fun with it. It was, it was a really great to get over the hump and just to really, and I'm making this sign, which is the maker man graphic. And a funny thing about the maker man graphic, you know, it's like the guy standing at the anvil holding something in the air that says I make, do you guys remember, I think it was called graph, graph stock, graphic stock. They were going around about three years ago. They were hitting everybody up for like a little spot. And they hit me up for a spot. Yeah. I think it's called graphicstock.com. I don't know. Anyway, they said, use the website, make something. So, so I made that graphic. I modified it a little bit. But everybody thinks that I invented that graphic. They're like, wow, it looks very, uh, you know, like turn of the century, work in progress kind of thing. And basically stole the graphic off of a, a graph, uh, what do you call it, copyright-free graph uh, you didn't, well, you didn't steal but it. It was free. It was free. <laughs> it was copyright I mean, free. A, you should clarify that because there is like, yeah. you could steal a graphic from somebody. Royalty free. You, you, you got it royalty from a royalty free. free website. That's what it is. It was a royalty free <laughs> website where you don't have to uh, stock. It's like a stock photo if you pay to be on it and you could take the graphic. You don't have to steal it. <laughs> you can pay to be on it. <laughs> so I'm trying to get you out of trouble here, Jimmy. Uh, no, no, no. I didn't steal anything. I didn't steal nothing. Got it for free. <laughs> That's my story. Can't prove it. No, the graphic was on the website with a thousand colors mixed into it, and I broke it down to just a black and white line art. And that's what I've been using for all different types of cutouts. And uh, I offer it free to anybody that wants it. If anybody wants the graphic, a lot of people have emailed me, and I'll just email it to you. You can do whatever you want with it. You can ch- put your name in it. I don't care. So the point I'm making is, is that I had a lot of fun making that graphic into a big stained glass window this weekend. And the video should be ready cool. by the time this podcast comes out. So that's definitely it was a great, great learning experience. So I have a, um, a related story. So for the past two years, I have made all the music in my in my videos, and I finally came to a point two weeks ago, and I'm like, I am not making enough new music for me to continue with this. So. Two weeks ago, and then this week, I used some royalty-free music. I subscribed to Epidemic Sound. And I got a couple compliments in the comments saying, Oh, I really love the music. I know, I know you make your own music. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, man. So yeah, I got I to gotta fess up and confess, like, it's not all my music anymore. And that's the reason... I, I, I'm starting to use stock music is because it. I don't want that to be the the bottleneck of of me putting out videos. Yep. Or, you know, so yeah. I I, yeah. I just gotta live with myself, and it's hard knowing that I don't make all the music for the videos anymore. Uh, all my music comes yeah, from YouTube. I, mean, I come from the YouTube YouTube studio, and the reason I do that is because sometimes I've I've heard these stories where guys that would use even an outside music source that is royalty free still gets claimed. Because some you can scam artist, and, and yeah. then yeah, you can but, get it back. It's just but I always figured if I just use music that's given away on YouTube, there's no way that I'd ever get like a claim. But I've heard that even like like Zach, I forget the name of Zach's website, but uh, ZH Fabrications made his own music for a while, 
and he, st- he still does, and he has his own royalty-free. Some guy claimed his website and like claimed all his music. He fought it and got it. But like, that's somebody taking your own music and claiming it. He wrote me once. He's like, I know you use some of my songs because you might start getting copyright claims. He goes, well, we're working on trying to fix it behind the scenes. And they did. But that's why I just stick with whatever's on YouTube. And I'm always using little tiny little bits and pieces anyway, mostly in the vlog or obviously whatever I find on the street. Hmm. I, um, I used to make my own music as well, David. And that was kind of a... It was, it was like a hard transition at the time to go from... It was like a pride thing. Yeah. Like, I've done it. Some 100%. people like the music. They don't like the music, whatever. But it was still my thing. And then once I found this Epidemic Sound, we've been using them for a couple of years now. And um, <clears throat> there's just such good music on there and such a variety. I mean, you can find anything you want. And honestly, having that off my plate as a thing that I had to think about just is is awesome. And I would never go back to it. Because I'm not a professional musician, I don't spend my time making music. It was a thing I would do. Like, oh no, I have to have another like loop. It's one not more a song, thing about loop, pressure, right? And yeah. it's yeah, it's just it's one more thing to have to figure out how to do. Like on a plane, I'm sitting there like, okay, uh, this sounds kind of cool. I'll do that and I'll save that one, <laughs> and I'll do this and I'll, I'll save that one, and mm-hmm. then I would have like you know three or four loops every few months to reuse and like add into the mix, and it just wasn't worthwhile. Um, but I think that it was a pride thing for me that once I let go of that, it made it a lot easier to have that kind of done and better. I think it was better than my own music. But yeah, one hundred percent. Also, you were talking about the the stained glass thing. My dad came over on Friday, I guess it was, and um, he's working on a stained glass piece. He used to do stained glass a long time ago. So did my dad. And That's how I first got into it. Oh yeah. Um, so he was telling me that he was going to be working on this thing for his church and he, he we got I don't know we got to talking about it and I realized that somebody had given me a box of stained glass years ago and it was just like one of those oh that'd be cool someday maybe I'll use that put it in the corner <laughs> and then like move across the country with it and then put it in a different corner and so anyway when we were talking about it you know I said just come get this glass and see if you can use it and then while he was over there we were talking about the design and all those different things and standing right next to the Wazer <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, yeah, if you have any, you know, if you've got your design digitally and you want to cut the, any of these pieces out, like, we can do it in the water jet. Done. And then they will be exact. And then I see right after that on your Instagram that you're, like, cutting these pieces <laughs> on the way there. I'm like, oh, look at that. Yeah. It <laughs> cuts really fun. fast, too. So, I mean, those little pieces, each cut was, like, a, a cut that might have, like, seven or eight little pieces in it. Ten minutes. So. Mm. Glass cuts the fastest on the Wazer, as opposed to, say, for instance, like titanium oh, yeah. or stainless steel, which some guys do use to make knife knife blanks. Takes, that takes mm-hmm. a long time. A couple months ago, my oh. grandfather gave me a, a stack of blue stained glass that used to be part of a window in his house. He's like, will you find any use for this? This used to be part of my house. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take that. And so pretty. I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but it will be some sort of glass project in the future. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I always... Oh. Uh, I always I, I always defer to the uh, uh, garage sale gods because this project started a year ago and I, I, I've been lazy. I haven't done. I should have been doing this one year ago. Last last spring, I should have been doing this project. And anyway, when garage sale started last spring, I bought online. I bought on Amazon. I bought about fifty, sixty, seventy dollars worth of stained glass bits that come ten by ten inch squares. And now I don't even know where they are, to be honest with you, because I just remembered this morning. I'm like, didn't I already buy glass for this project? But 
that same spring, last spring, I was driving around and I stopped at a garage sale. And the same guy that I bought the Winchester rifle from, for $100, he gave me cartons of stained glass. Probably, I had to go to my car like four times. So it was probably 100, maybe 150 pounds of stained glass. He cleaned out a studio of a stained glass artist and all the stuff was wrapped in paper from the 70s. So all this glass hadn't been used in 30, 40 years. And it was like bins of glass, big 16 by 16 inch pieces of glass. So in this video, you'll see me going through a couple of boxes of stained glass. And that stained glass is all Mm. bought at the garage sale. And all the glass I bought and lots of like tools and stuff too, which I'll never use really because I'm doing it different. But all the glass I bought on Amazon, I don't even remember where I put it. It might even be in my office still next to my desk. But yeah. So they're like the box, Bob, you're talking about being moved around. The boxes I bought were being like moved around for 40 years and finally turning <laughs> it into crazy. And all the, the pieces of big, beautiful squares are all 12 by 12 or 16 by 16. And then, of course, a couple hmm. of boxes with just millions of small parts, which if you're a stained glass artist, you end up with these boxes of the cut up scraps. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And they probably never want to get rid of those little pieces. Because they could just use them for the little detail. They're just going to get thrown into an epoxy yeah. table, I think. A river table. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this past week, I made... I got back into doing some leather working, and I made a sheath. Did I show you this already, Jimmy? I just showed it to David. But made a, a sheath for my machete. Oh, very machete. nice. And very uh, cool. it's got some snaps on the for the belt loop. Did you do some leather molding on that, on, on those things? Yeah, uh, there's a little sharpening stone and some magnesium like fire starter oh, rods. Very cool. Those are in little pockets on the front, and it turned out good. Like I'm, nice. I'm very happy with how it turned out. But so that's this week's thing, um, and I was a lot more comfortable just with my second leather project, getting in and doing the thing. I mean, I, I made a mistake one time just doing something out of order, and I ended up not putting it in the video because it was just a like I, I just got ahead of myself. And I don't know that it would have been worthwhile saying that, but I ended up having to cut the whole thing twice, um, which, but other than that, it went really smoothly and uh, came out really well. I like it a lot. The other thing that happened this week, yesterday, it was like 63 degrees, super nice here. I'm like, hey, it's a good temperature. I'll go out and check on the bees. So I go out and I open the beehive and they're all dead. Oh, yeah, lost oh. the whole colony. How? Bummer. But, well, I'm pretty sure that it was a really small colony, and we knew it was when we moved it into the hives. And it was the guy that was helping me move it, who's a beekeeper around here, was kind of like, you know, there's a pretty good chance they won't survive the winter because they don't have, there's not enough of them to have a big enough food store to survive through the winter. And if they don't have enough food store, then they can't, because they keep themselves warm and they keep the temperature inside the hive consistent by just vibrating they just shake and so they keep the air in the small space warm and if they don't then they freeze to death so if they don't have enough food to maintain the activity then they die they freeze whatever and i think that's probably what happened and we knew that that was a pretty good possibility as it was so small Um, because there were probably i don't know maybe a thousand bees maybe at a time which i think is a pretty small grouping of them and that may even be a bigger number than there actually were. I didn't count them, so <laughs> I don't know. But it was it was a bummer to, you know, like open up the top and I don't see anything moving. And I was just like, oh, man, like that's a real disappointment because I really wanted this to work and I want to be able to do it. So 
And you just I went built ahead that and opened card? it up and like, yeah, yeah, but it's okay because as soon as I, I like you know checked out the whole thing and made sure that everybody was dead, <laughs> they were. Um, I immediately messaged the my friend who's the beekeeper, and I said, "All right, here's what happened. What do I do to prepare for spring? Because I really want to make this work. This is they're they're super interesting. I want to figure out how to help them." be a colony that doesn't really need me to help them. You know, I want to have a colony that's self-sustaining and I just do the little bits uh, to make it work. And I just got really interested. And so I want to make sure that I can make it work. And so I asked him, what do I do now? And he said, well, now is the time to order bees. You, you place an order for a box of bees for the springtime and then you pick them up. And um, so you go get a whole new set of bees, a new queen, and then you bring them back and you kind of install them into your existing boxes. Uh, or you can buy a box that already has them in there. And you just basically bring it in, set it in your yard, and you're good to go. So um, I ordered some bees, got a new queen, and they will be here. Or I have to go pick them up at the beginning of April. And then I found out that before that, like a week before that, the local beekeeping association in the county is having a bee school. So they're having a full day thing with a bunch of different classes where you can go and you learn everything you need to know about getting started with beekeeping from the local beekeepers because a lot of that information is localized. Like you can read something online that's not necessarily true for where you live because the conditions for the bees where you live are very different from everywhere else. So this is run by local people talking about local situations and nature and all that stuff. Um, so that's really cool. And it just happens to be on a day, the, like one of the few Saturdays that I can actually go do it. So I'm pretty excited about going to bee school and about getting some new bees. This is also cool. Check this out. So near where I live, this place that I'm getting the bees from is called Kelly Bees. It's this apparently gigantic apiary-like company, this bee company. They sell bees. They sell all the equipment you need and everything. And it's in a small town here, and the town is pretty much built around not built around, but it is very reliant on this company. I found out that this company, the guy that started it, I think is, I don't remember what his first name, Paul Kelly or Jim Kelly or something like that. Mr. Kelly bought the land that this place was started on from my great grandfather who had a farm. Down no there. way. Isn't that a weird, like, yeah, oh, wow. isn't that crazy? It just, it's a random little thing that I found at my dad. He's like, oh yeah, that was, that was bought from my granddad's farm. <laughs> what? Bob, do you go back to the I revolution? Does your family go back to the revolution? Um, mine I mean, we have record of our family back, 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 back to like 1400. Um, but I, in the States, I don't know exactly where we were during that period. Cause a lot of Claggetts are from Maryland and I'm not sure if we were in Kentucky yet at that point. Hmm. I'd have to look that up. I don't know. Because my family goes back but. to the 18, literally 1890s, nine, when my father's parents both came here from really. Mm. Prior to that, there was no, nobody in my chain of family that was here. That was here. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, we came over before, well before that, but I'm not exactly sure when. Um, yeah, we have a really extensive family tree, which I find fascinating, and it goes all the way back to the doomsday book like where we got last names and all that stuff um that's pretty awesome anyway bees 
I'm excited about the bees. Even how much? How much does a, a, a colony cost and a queen? So from there's different types because you get different. Um, I, there's like Russian queens and some other word that I had never seen before queens and Italian queens. And then you buy a box of bees to go with the queen. And so you can insert a new queen into a hive. So you can buy them separately or you can buy them together. I bought them together and it was like $169, I think. Yeah, something like that's that. not bad at all. I didn't know if you were going to say 1000 um, or 20 I didn't know. N- no. Now, I, I honestly don't know how many bees that is, but it is enough to get a, a, it's a fresh start. And if you do that in the spring, then you're getting them and the food that they need immediately with them. And then immediately, as soon as you open the hive up, they're going to start going out and creating new. So you have enough, it's called a nuke and a, you know, it's like a nucleus to start a new colony from. Um, and I may be getting some of the terminology wrong. Don't yell at me people if you, if I am, but you can get that and that's enough to start a new colony, you know? Uh, and then as the colony grows throughout the year, you add boxes you stack them up and then they start to fill up the bigger, the new space inside the boxes. So within a year or so you can have, you know, a much bigger colony than you started with, especially if the weather's good. So when you see, like up here, you see it a lot. You see on a farmer's property, you see like maybe five or 10 boxes. That's one colony. All those boxes are one colony or is it stack is a colony or does it matter? The stack is a colony. Yeah, there should be there should be one queen in each one of those boxes. So I'm saying like if there's like a stack, like maybe three stacks of, of white and then next to it, maybe five mm-hmm. feet away, there's another stack. Those are two colonies. Those are two. Colonies. Oh, OK, if I understand. Yeah, yeah I'm just wondering yeah. if we, because oh. they they should be the bees always want to be around the queen. And so they wouldn't be in a separate box see. if the queen was in, you know, is in. they the, understand so they the architecture the of the environment, literally. Yeah. It's insane. Once you start really looking into how the inner workings of a, like how they actually work and how they're built, bees are unbelievable. It still blows my mind. Um, like if you don't just, just find a website and or watch a couple of videos about it and you'll be like, yeah, I want to get bees. <laughs> they're just so, so cool. We talk about it every spring. If anybody would do it, it would be Taylor. She's, she's great at getting started at something brand new oh for instance last night on the instagram story we started working on the motorcycle we changed the starter clutch and we started taking apart the whole side of the motorcycle if anybody doesn't know a few months ago taylor's been wanting to get into making a motorcycle and so the local flea market indoor flea market had one sitting there so how much because 200 dollars. it's got no paperwork it's got nothing it's a honda cb 450 1970 beautiful all together everything is there so for $200, I bought it. We dragged it to the shop. And I said to tell, there's your education. Figure out how to use that motorcycle, how to make it work. And the first thing we realized is that the starter clutch was broken. So we bought all the parts online. We took it apart last night. We realized that the actual cradle that carries the starter clutch was broken. The screws were broken. And I can't tell. The bike is in really good shape. It's got some wear in certain spots. And the speedometer only says 1,300 miles. There's no key. No paperwork, no nothing. So I don't know if it's got 1,300 miles on it or if it's got, or if the speedometer is disconnected. I haven't really taken a close look. So, but it's a full complete bike, hmm. but it hasn't been used since 1985. It's sat in a garage. So it's, wow. parts are all sticky and everything. So it's going to be a good transformation. But the basis of the whole thing is education. Tells like, can I take this off? I'm like, yeah, do whatever you want. 
just put all the bolts in a pan and pulled the muffler off, pulled the foot peg off, pulled off the side clutch side. And she's really getting into cleaning it right now. And then starting to understand what all the parts are. So that's a great education for her. There's no, there's no hiccups. It's not like, Oh my God, don't take that off. It's like, do whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, if anybody can figure out how to put it back together, it's you two, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> right. So, so you're not going to break it past the point of being able to fix it. So, so bees is a thing that she wants to start. I know, I know. Her. That's even easier than a yeah. motorcycle. She'll jump right into that. Well, and if she wants bees, now is the time to order them because any place that sells bees, you know, you pick them up in the spring. Yeah. You have to order them now or like a month ago. Um, and this place, I'll put a link to it. It's it's near me, but they ship things worldwide. Or I'm sure there's probably somebody local to wherever you live would make it even easier. But um, I'll put a link to Kelly Bees, and you can just order a box, and they ship it to you. I'm sure the UPS guy is probably super happy about that. But you know, <laughs> anyway. Um, so we did kind of have a topic. Uh, you were talking about the Wazer, yeah. And just how you didn't, like, you've had it for a long time. Yeah. And didn't really want to jump into it. Yeah. Want to talk more about that? Yeah, well, I, before we got started, just as I woke up, I literally, like, stuck my head off the pillow and called you guys late. But I was talking about the Wazer and the way that it came here just about a year ago. And I remember, actually, uh, Chris Zepp helped me set it up because Chris Zepp has one. So he helped me turn it on and everything. And we made a little cut with it initially. And... Then I just never touched it again. And it wasn't, I knew how to use it from the minute we opened it because Chris showed me. But there was this weird thing of like, oh, I got to figure out something new. And there was just like a weird ridge. And I, I can't explain why it happens. And then right away, Dave, you said, I still haven't opened this other tool that I have. I don't know if I should say it or not. I don't know if you have a deal with them or anything. But you said, no, I still have no. I, What Can we say it? Yeah, we can say it. Oh, it's the shaper. It's the shaper. Yeah. You said you got the shaper. And it sat under your desk. I got the shaper too. And I got the shaper just a couple of weeks before Aaron started working for me. And it was kind of one of the first things Aaron did because I told those guys I was going to use it at Maker Camp. And then Maker Camp started and I completely forgot about it. So I felt bad. But I never did use it at Maker Camp. But then Aaron started a couple of weeks later and I said to Aaron, I go figure out that machine. And he was all over it. He figured out everything. He knows how to, he says, as soon as we're ready to cut something, he goes, I'm your guy. And uh, But there's this thing about new technology, or even not necessarily new technology, but like new objects, where it's like really more the hunt. The hunt is more of the the desire. <laughs> like Acquiring the piece. Acquiring it is more important than actually doing anything <laughs> with it. It's the strangest thing. Another case in point, I got a, a call from a fan named Patrick about a year and a half ago. It was August of twenty. It was the summer of 2018. He said, hey, this crazy old drill press is here. My, I'm a, I buy and sell real estate. And one of the houses we're selling has a crazy drill press in it. And they're going to throw it in the dumpster. You want it? Come and take it. So me and my cousin drove to Massachusetts. We took it all apart. This crazy old drill press that's like 130, 40 years old. Threw it in my car. It was such an exciting. Me and my cousin had such a fun time together. We never really see each other. He lives out of state. We went and got it. We threw it in the back of my car. We came here. I threw it in the side of my building and haven't touched it or looked at it since. <laughs> it's been sitting there ever since. I got a call from Rob, uh, a young student nearby, Rob Brojas. And he said, he goes, hey, I, I need something to do. I'm a student nearby and I'm not near my shop. I need things to do. So he came by and we made a little deal and he's restoring that drill press for me. That's why you see that on my Instagram stories. 
So it, it, you get these things. It's the hunt is the hunt is more exciting than actually owning the thing. I know how bad I always wanted a Wazer. I even tested the prototype like five years ago in my basement in the city. They brought the whole prototype over. There was only one machine. And then when I got it, it literally sat here for nearly a year before I jumped into it. I love it now. I really have been having a lot of fun with it, making the stained glass. But why do we do that? Why is the hunt more exciting than actually owning the thing? I don't know that it, for me, it's, I don't think it's the hunt. It's the, I want to have this thing, this tool, whatever it is, I want it to have it in my possession when that that moment strikes like i have to do this thing and this right. is the only tool that can do this thing so i got the shaper two or three months ago i haven't even plugged it in and i already know that there's been a huge update to the software so the shaper is a basically a handheld cnc router but i have to i know there's been a big update to the software so i got to update that and then there's a, a learning curve and so i don't there's so many other things that I want to do. I don't want to spend an evening figuring out a new tool until I have a reason to. And I do have a reason to now. We're going to we're going to do this inlay on on one of my desks and that tool is going to be the perfect tool because the desk is already built. So I can take the CNC to the object to make this thing that I want. So now I have a purpose for it. So it's it's not really the hunt, it's the when creativity strikes, I want to have the tools here and now because I know how my brain works. I I get this this feeling of wanting to do something. Oh, I got to order some stuff off of Amazon, and then by the time that stuff gets here, like I've already moved on to the next thing. Like, yeah, that is exactly true. That that happens to me all the time. Where I'm like, oh, you know what? I want to make a I want to make a so and so, and then I go online. I buy all the parts for it. The stained glass is a good example. I buy all the stained glass parts. It is sitting here. And I was so excited to get them. I look at them, I put them down, and now it's 10 months later. I'm finally getting to it. Just a, a few weeks ago, um, so the, the welding helmet that I had before is like a super cheap one. And I have a hard time seeing out of it. And I I saw the, the Lincoln welding helmets. They're a little bit more costly, but they... You know, in the marketing materials say you can see so much better out of this, whatever. I'm like, I just need to see better. I think that's going to help me. And so I ordered the helmet and then it sat in the box unopened for like two weeks. And then we got it out last week when we were filming the table build. And Dan's like, you're just opening this now? I'm like, yeah. He's like, how how can you do that? I'm like, what do you mean? He's <laughs> like, if I get something in the mail, I have to open it right now. I'm like, oh, yeah. Nope, it just goes on a shelf and... Open it when I need it. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I have. I struggle with the same stuff, but I have the problem of the the distance between like getting the thing and actually using it in a project is where I have the most trouble. It's like I, I don't really care so much about the chase because I see the potential. I mean, we take the bridge for it, for instance. Like I understand the potential of it and how I would end up using it. And I think once I can use it, I will come up with reasons to use it. I'll come up with projects. It's not like I, I'm not worried about it, you know, finding a use for it. But I think it's that gap between like it's here, it's in there, it's sitting down. I don't have any clue how to use it. <laughs> I don't know what anything's called, and I don't know how to. And if I do it now, even if I try to figure it out, and I start the video with I don't know what I'm doing, I'm just learning here, then the comments will be like, you're doing this wrong and you're an idiot. And why didn't you talk to so-and-so and like 
fly Jimmy down and have him teach you how to use it and have, you know, it's just like, so there's this gap in between knowing nothing and knowing enough to use it effectively and safely. That thing I don't make time for. Like you, David, you were saying, you know, it's hard for you to justify an evening to be able to use that tool. But it's it's so funny if you step back and listen to that statement. And you're mm. like, I could spend an evening invest in this little <laughs> thing, and then I can use it anytime I want. To right. Some people, on, some know? people go to a whole university course for <laughs> that evening. It'll take you to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, and I'm the same way. Like I have put zero time into either one of these two new tools that I got because I don't feel like I have enough time to put into them. Instead of chipping away at it, I'm just like, well, one of these days I'm going to have a free week. Yeah, right. I'm not going to have a free week and be able to sit down and learn these tools with the person who knows how to teach me. I just have to dig in and start doing little things here and there. But I really do have a hard time with that. The Wazer I used, you know, I have one too. I got in the same situation you did, and I used it for a project immediately as soon as I got it. And it was pretty cool, and it did exactly what they said it would do and then it just sat there and i have only thought about using it about once since then and that one's a little different for me because there's no real learning curve to it like you don't have to know how to do anything it's basically a laser cutter but it does it with water so it's just you know the, 2d file the parameters are real easy the software is super easy yeah yeah it's it's a very easy thing to use and does a good job so that's i don't have that excuse that one i just I just haven't like jumped in and used it as much as you know I should, but I mean I guess I'm kind of the same way. Like even with the laser, uh, even with the CNC, like I understand them, I know how to use them, but they're not the things that I jump to immediately to use. Um, somehow those things were really exciting when I got them and I used them a bit, and then now they don't become like the first option. They become kind of like the last resort, mm. which. I guess I guess has a value, but um, I, I don't know. I, I just now thought about that as I'm comparing like the the tools in front of me, the bridge fort and the lathe that I haven't touched yet. Like those, I could see a, a ton of potential, but there's a gap of knowledge gap. Uh, the bigger stuff that I've had for a long time, I also don't use often, but it's not a knowledge gap. Mm. It's like a. And so sometimes there's an inconvenience gap because the other day. Uh, uh, somebody a friend of a friend asked me to make him this little display for this this collection of of tchotchkes he has and he sent me the package we talked about it during the beginning of the summer he sent it to me it sat next to my desk in the fedex box he sent it to me since i guess it came in like june and a couple days ago he emails me he's like i just want that thing back forget the project i'm like oh no 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 no. i'll make it (laughs) i feel bad it took me three minutes aaron was laughing the other day how long it took me to make it he goes, that took you three minutes to make. And the guy is like sweating for his little tchotchkes mm. back. And uh, so the reason I didn't do it, too. the reason I didn't jump on it, he wasn't pushing me, the guy actually. It was just a little side thing for him. It wasn't something he was waiting for. But he, I shot my mouth off and said, oh, we'll CNC up something in case you need a few of them. We'll have the file, blah, 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 blah. And he didn't really care. He's just like, I don't care. I just however, whatever it takes. And when I opened the box and looked at it the other day in preparation to mail it back to him, I'm like, this will take me like literally 15 minutes to make. So I made this thing in 15 minutes. I didn't turn on the CNC machine. I just made it at the old traditional way with drill presses and saws and sanders. And I was done. It was basically a lazy Susan that carried these objects, eight objects in the top, just evenly spaced. I drew it out with a compass and a ruler. I laid it out old school style. 
and I was done with it in 15 minutes. It would have taken me 20 minutes to set the file up, open the computer, mount the wood to the table. And that's where sometimes when you have a CNC machine, you just go, I don't feel like going through that ritual again. And that's what held me up for that package for that guy, Chris. It took took me minutes to put this thing together, wrapped it back up, sent him a picture, said it's on its way. He said, wow, thank you. And that was it. No charge. I feel bad for for holding (laughs) him up for months. But that's why sometimes I I I don't jump into a project because it's like oh I got to get into the computer I got to dig up the file I got to blah 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 and yeah, set up all these little roadblocks I think yeah. there is um, it's there's a difference when it's a business or if you're just buying stuff for personal you're buying stuff for business you actually you, you acquire more things faster and i and i think it's a learned behavior from working at the ad agencies and the newspaper before because we would buy equipment all the time and it would just sit there for for months until we figured out how long it was going to take to train somebody to use this new thing or to transfer what we're doing to this new computer or whatever and so i think it's a learned behavior from just past experiences you buy the thing because you can right now now's a good time to do so and then it sits on a shelf waiting to be used for that perfect moment yeah i mean we even do that with camera gear we bought a 360 camera uh, recently with no specific reason for doing it but it was just i had seen some cool stuff with it i'm like yeah we need to figure out how to work this in you know like it'll not use it often but there'll be like some little shot in mm-hmm. there where it'll be a cool thing and i don't believe we've used it at all it's like it's it's on the camera shelf with everything else it's right there all we gotta do is pick it up and but just, and so it feels kind of weird to have invested whatever a few hundred dollars into that thing and it's like it the potential is there but we haven't done it and if the longer we don't do it the it's like you just gave somebody some money <laughs> right. just ran away with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's the old it's adage. kind of a bad behavior. The old thing that I like to say, and it applies to a lot of what we're talking about today, is I'd rather have it, not need it, than need it and not have it. There's always that moment where I'm in the middle of a project and I'm like, oh, where's that thing that I bought at the garage sale? Oh, where's that thing that I bought on Amazon? It's been leaning in the corner. Right now is the moment for that. And it's, you know, 10 o'clock on a Saturday night and I'm in the workshop working on some. So that is that fuels a big part of buying things and just letting them sit around. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before, but I mean, I do the same thing with not big expensive things. I do the same thing with um, hardware and with just the consumable type stuff that we use all the time. If I'm buying hinges and I need four hinges for a project, I'll buy eight hinges. Like almost every time, not every time, but almost every time. Because if I found a use for that thing once, I'll probably find a use for it again. And then I won't have to reorder them. You know, I'll have them. It's like I have the idea and the use in my head. And then I also have the hardware in stock so that I can just kind of pull it out. Now, that's not the case if they're super expensive or something. But if you're spending five bucks on some hardware, spending 10 bucks to have a backup set or to have them in your your inventory, you know, I mean... I do that a lot, and maybe that's hoarder behavior. I'm not sure, but <laughs> it's, it's come in handy because even like we're doing something soon where I found these hinges. I was buying one kind of hinge, and then in the the Amazon related, you know, like other people buy this thing. It was these hinges that when they are fully flattened, you can lift them apart, and because we had those on hand, 
it was like, oh, yeah, we should use those on this upcoming thing we're working on. Now, we have enough time that I could have remembered that they exist and then just ordered them. But it was one of those things that, you know, by seeing them and then keeping them in stock, it, it kind of helped make a, a section of a future project go a little bit faster. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for the, the therapy session. This just made me feel better about all my purchases that I haven't <laughs> opened or used yet. Like, this is a, just a... <laughs> justified me purchasing anything i think everybody in the modern age i think we all go through this experience where late night on amazon we're like oh i could do, oh you know it's only 50 bucks i'll buy that oh that's only 10 bucks i'll buy that oh yeah. it's only and then like three weeks later you get stuff in the mail two weeks later you're like what is this i bought oh yeah oh i had that project i wanted to do i completely forgot about it that's how you get that's how you, you know you, yeah. you, you, you get the the drive to go to Amazon, you buy all the stuff or you order it from whoever. And then when it shows up a week later, you, then you're reminded, oh, yeah, I want to do this. That's a good, you know what? I have nothing to do today. Let me jump into that project now. That happens to me a lot. Do you guys ever set that stuff out so you are forced to look at it all the time? So you think about it and hopefully that you'll get to that project? I have a pile of mailboxes in my office that they're like stacked around me. It looks like a mailroom in my shop, in my I have an office here in the house. I'm not in it now, but the office in my house is got boxes all around me, and they're all things that I'm going to get to. I never do. <laughs> I do that with electronics components because they're the components of like a bigger project are a little more in the way, a little more obvious, you know. But electronics, you know, it's like a, a bag of LEDs, and they're tiny. And if I if I don't have them right in my way, I'll forget about them completely. So I end up with these little piles of components. And the bad thing is that they are so small and so nondescript that I kind of forget what's in the bags. So I'll have mm. like a bag of LEDs and batteries and something underneath them. And they sit there long enough so that I don't forget about them. And then at some point I come in and I look at that stack and I'm like, I don't know what's inside those bags. Like, I didn't do the thing. So here's a here's a little secret if when you watch my videos. Anything that is sitting on the miter saw stand, like the miter saw stand station should be completely cleared. So anything that is on there means that it is a future project or something I need to get to soon. Oh, so, so you put it in there, your own way. I put it in my own way. That's so smart. on there has been the shaper that. for months. There is a live edge walnut slab that um, I want to do something with. So that is sitting up on there up against the wall there is a project from the book that is finished but i need to write the cut lines for it so it is sitting there in the way and then um uh right and also there's a box of of film and, and some old cameras for a project that we're going to do so it's right there it's i i i'm forced to look at it every time i go into the shop doesn't make me do anything it just makes me think that stuff is in the way <laughs> Yeah, it reminds you. It just reminds me. Yeah, it's just here. Here's some stuff to think about. <laughs> my shop cool. is full well, of future projects. Other... Everything, everything in my shop oh, is yeah. a project I'm going to do someday, some way. Yeah, one of those yeah. things I'd ra- I need it now, and then there it is sitting there. Like I when I I was so hot to trot when I got this antique printing press. It's become like the the visual marker of my shop because it's right in front of my shop. It's this printing press from 1860s. It's it's kind of like a Gutenberg style where you got to pull the lever and it presses down onto the print plate. Completely like pre-automation. And I was so hot to get that I couldn't wait till it came. This was, And then I got the TV show. This was a year ago. 
And I went to the TV show last March. That's when that showed up. Brett happened to unload it with the guy. And uh, it's been sitting in the same spot they propped it up in. I haven't touched it since. And lately, I've been thinking about it. So I've been going online researching. What I need is pictures of the underside of it because I have to remake a lot of stuff. Nothing's available for it at all. So like you, you either got to buy a whole new one for $10,000 or there's no parts. So I'm going to fabricate all the parts that are missing. And I just need pictures of it. And it's impossible to find even pictures of a Washington hand press. If anybody has the pictures of a Washington hand press, I need photographs of the underneath of it. Anyway, that's been sitting around. But I remember every time I look at it, the guilt gets me like, I remember how you were so anxious to get that. It cost me hundreds of dollars. It's sitting there now and I haven't touched it. But it needs a lot of work. It's the main reason. And I need to dedicate, you know, about five days to it to probably get it back in working order. I mean, I'm kind of feeling that same way about the tools that I just got because I literally have not done anything with them. I mean, and they're taking up a huge amount of space. They cost a decent amount of money. They they caused the shop to move. Like we had to move some stuff and then that caused us wanting to move other stuff. So the entire shop has gotten kind of reworked and shifted over the past couple of weeks. And that's where the time has gone into like, accommodating these new things, but I haven't actually used these new things for anything. And when I look at them, I just keep going like, I really want to clean them. Like, I don't have to use them to clean them to use them, but I just, I want to improve them somehow. But then that whole thing, like we talked about last week, that whole thing of improving them or just maintaining them like they should have been, it's just going to stop me from working on you're them. Just, it's just yeah, just maintaining it's just getting longer to the inevitable. You should. Uh, I hate yeah. when people say you should, but I'm going to suggest an idea. An idea. <laughs> I'm going to suggest. Well, I'm going to do it. Anyway. I'm going to suggest. Now, this is a suggestion. This isn't a you should. I suggest you do a video about saying, okay, I know nothing about these machines, but today my goal is to put a slot or to surface this piece of metal, or to make this crazy shape round. Just the I can most tell you basic, why I won't do that. <laughs> the most basic thing that you could do on either the mill or the lathe. My goal today is to just do that. And okay, oh, what does this do, Hickey? I could just see the video being a little chatty, like, okay, what does this do? You yeah. know, you're working with the guys just like you did. It could be another in-between-the-builds video. Yeah. The problem is, for me... I would have to do that when Dan isn't here because I have no idea how long it is going to take to do that thing. And I know that I am paying somebody to to film me. And so that is another barrier that I put on myself is I don't know how long that project's going to take. I would rather work on a project where I know it's going to take one day or whatever, you know? Yeah, I think honestly, the biggest reason that I wouldn't do something like that is the... I don't know. I guess I just don't want to deal with the the backlash of people who who don't. There seems to be this weird separation of people who enjoy watching people learn and understand that like we we don't have everything figured out and we're just trying to figure it out and we may not do things the correct way or the perfect way or the safest way in the process of learning to get there. Because I think that's super important and everybody needs to do that. But when we do it, or when I'll speak for myself, when I do that publicly. They get chastised a whole lot for the learning process. I'm looking at it as a learning process, but the viewers, some, are looking at it as a an authoritative presentation. Mm-hmm. And that's those are two very, very different things. Turn the comments off. And so I have 
That'd be a good one. That would drive people crazy. <laughs> I've just gotten really, I've gotten a little gun shy about trying to learn things that that have a danger level, you know, that have a a potential bad outcome. To learn them on screen, uh, just because of that separation of the understanding of like authoritative and learning, they're not the same thing, and that people don't necessarily look at the same uh, one video from the same lens. And so that's made me a little gun shy there. And that's just something that I now have to try to, for my own happiness or whatever, I just have to figure out how to do that stuff before I get on camera. Or uh, so that, or you put it, you have that new series between the builds, you put it in there and you don't even title the, the video. Yeah, like, that's what I said. Thing. It's, just say like, today's yeah, goal, it, we're going to do it, this. It, and it, it's not even a, you know, it's you guys fiddling around, figuring out what the parts do. That, that, yeah. It was yeah. fun watching that one video. It'd be fun to watch you guys figure out how to use it as opposed to just moving it. Yeah, and I think we we definitely have a bunch of that type of video that we want to do, but we also don't want to overweight the channel mm-hmm. to that type of stuff and get away from the more instructional kind of value Bridgeport like, figure it out channel stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I do want to make it a priority. Uh, it's just. You know, it's interesting to try to figure out how to make that learning process a priority within the scope of everything else that we have to put out in the the other interests. Do you you think one of the issues is that we have so many ideas and so many things that we want to do that nothing has a priority? Uh, I think it's hard to prioritize, yeah. I mean, I I definitely have a priority for what we're doing. and uh, But, yeah, it is difficult to... For me, one of the biggest problems with stuff like that is that I don't have a focus. I don't, I mean, I have a focus. I don't have a, a, a skill set focus. So I think a lot of people, you know, if they're really good at something, it's because they've spent a lot of time doing that one thing. Alex Steele is a great blacksmith and video maker because that's what he does, like those things. And we make videos as a team, and then I try to just like dip my toes in of all these other things. So I'm not really good at any of them. I don't claim to be, but it makes it harder to get better at all those things because I'm not, you know, in them very often. Now that's 100% self-imposed, so I'm not saying that like boohoo. I have right. to try all these different things. Yeah. I don't mean that. I just mean that like it, it's hard to prioritize spending a lot of learning time on one little path when there's so many paths to check out mm. for me. You know? mm-hmm. So. Jimmy, you seem to have done that well because you still do tons of different types of things, but you seem to have kind of an institutional knowledge about most of them. Like, it didn't ever seem like you're fumbling through something. I fumble off camera. You have a history with I hide all my fumbles. People are always like, oh, you make yourself (laughs) look like a genius. I'm like, yeah, I do it purposely. You know, if I screw up, I do it. (laughs) Because I am a genius. No, I mean, I just... I, I. one of the goals when I make a video is to just have like a seamless beginning to end. <clears throat> now, if I showed all the tinkering with the with the vice, uh, sorry, with the anvil stand thing where it pops up and down, I got to a, I, I knew I had to put the bottom wheels. I knew I had to put the lever, and I knew the linkage between was going to be some sort of trial and error. So that's what I did. One night, I went to the shop by myself. I tried a couple of different angles. I tried a couple of different drill holes, and then I got my story. I figured it out. And then I had the other side of the device to do it cleanly. So I figured it all out on one side. It works well, even though there's one linkage. It still works. Of course, two is better. So it worked with one linkage. I 
change the holes a few times. And even if you watch, you'll notice I filmed some of them and I felt didn't film. So the it's, you see me drilling one piece of material that's rusty. Then I go to install it. It's not rusty, but it, nobody notices that stuff but me. So I take the time off camera to figure it out. So then on camera, I look like I'm a genius. No, but I'm just joking. It's really more just to make the video move quickly. Because if I stop and start dilly-dallying, and then I save it for the Patreon video version of it, where I say, this is where I had all this problem. Mm. I don't re-edit the video, Mm -hmm. but I will discuss, okay, between that last take and this take, two days went by, and I spent two days playing around, trial and error, figuring it out. So then I'm really more focused on the film of it. The film of the story is more streamlined. And that's really, that's not, I mean, and if I screw up, and a lot of times, if I'm not talking at all, it's imp- almost impossible to say, oh, I just made a mistake, I'm going to redo it. But if I'm not talking, I, it's almost impossible, so oh, I just yeah. leave that part out. Yeah, there's a, we, we wear two hats. There's the, the maker hat and then the video maker hat. And you're telling a story, and so you have to make that decision, like, do I want to show everything, or do I want to keep the story moving forward to have a good, to make a good mm-hmm. video? So yep. sometimes I show the mistakes, sometimes I don't. It depends on if there's going to be value in the final edit of the video. And, and to go back to the yeah. big mantra of Same. something we constantly say for the last five years, if you want to learn how to use a tool, make a project. And when I made the Canons two or three years ago, I made a Canon in the following year, I made a second style Canon on the lathe that was supremely entirely only to learn how to use the lathe. I had different textures between various segments. I, I figured out how to taper, how to hold, how to drill a hole, and then flip the machine, flip the object around, drill it, and hold it from the other side. All these things I had to figure out in between. I mean, I was talking a lot to Kevin while I was doing that three and four years ago. If you watch the video, you see me. If you watch my very first Canon video, I make it, and I'm like, boom, 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 boom. But there were like days in between certain setups. I drilled out the front of it, and then I spent a couple of weeks online finding the right drill bit. I bought a, a used drill bit on uh, eBay, but going back and forth and asking Kevin and doing some more research. So when you watch the video, all those the, the net result of all those little breaks in learning are just that little successful clip on the video. But mm-hmm. I took all the time off camera to experiment, figure out, go watch other people, and and that's how I did it. So it looks seamless. Cool. And in the history pages, it's going to be like, oh, look at this guy. He made this cool cannon. But no one's ever going to hear that I took 15 learning breaks and a lot of question and answers to more professional people than me and just brought it back to my net result. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll just have to invest some time in learning uh, because I don't think it would make for a great story, uh, the bumbling through, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it would, but I'm not sure that I want the response of the story that that would create. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anyway, you guys got anything else on this before we wrap it up? Uh, the hunt is better than the kill. You, the hunt is better than the kill. The hunt is better than the kill. Ooh. Title, huh. title, title. Maybe. Maybe. Huh. That's interesting. We should you should have led with that because we could have talked about that. Oh yeah, well let's flip it over. We're gonna have to anyway. <laughs> let's start over. You guys ready to hit record now? <laughs> All right. Um, big thanks to our Patreon supporters, everybody at patreon.com/slash/making it. 
especially our top supporters. Corey Ward works by Solo. Chad from Mancrafting, maker in training. Funkist Artistic Creations. Blondie Hacks, You Can Make This Too. Modern DIY, Odin Leather Goods, and Jenny and Davis. That is just the top group, the top supporters of a very large group of people who help us out, and we are really grateful for every single one of them. Uh, even the you know the people that help us out with a dollar, it still makes a difference. It still makes the show possible. We're uh, thankful for you, and everybody on that list uh, at every level gets the after show, which is another little feed of us talking about other stuff. I'm trying to think if I have anything. Oh yeah, I have. I'll tell you what we're doing later on today. I just we can't talk about it yet, but the all the Patreon money is being saved up for a thing in the future. That. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That yeah. thing? That's right. That thing. Yeah. So it could Patreon be a super thing cool is. thing. So it really does yeah. help. And, it, and it's making, it's going to make this thing possible. Yeah. Oh, that, that thing? Is, I forgot. Yeah. You mean that? Yeah, that where thing. Where we go in that, that other thing and we move to that, other, that other space? <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Don't give away the thing. Um, if you want to help out the show, we would really appreciate it. Go to uh, patreon.com slash making it. Uh, also, just sharing the show with people that you know that you think might like it would be super cool. Um, you know, the more more people that listen, that helps us out as well. Yep. Do you guys have anything super cool to recommend this week? I do. I got something. Super, it's got to be super cool. Cause I got something I super cool. I, I listen to a lot of music <laughs> okay. on YouTube, so when you look at my screen time, it says I've been on my phone for 15,000 hours. It says you should get a life. <laughs> but my phone is usually... <laughs> My phone is usually playing music, so I listen to it, and so like the screen is on while I'm playing. Anyway, I've been listening to a lot of '70s music, and I got suggested this group, and I just texted it to you guys because I'm never going to remember the name if I could pull it up here. It's Leonard. It's a Russian guy, Leonard Vorbeyev. Leonard Vorbeyev and friends. He's got about 100,000 subscribers. It's an amazingly talented group of musicians. He must be the band leader. And they play mostly Chicago from the 70s. You know, the big trumpet brass band Chicago, like half rock, half trumpet. And they're so passionate. It's amazing. And you can see some of the singers are singing in Russian. Oh, singing, you know, they're Russian, but they're singing in English. And you could tell it almost seems like they don't even know what they're saying. They're just like repeating what they hear. Because they don't have like the accent, the uh, you know the intonation and the right spot of the words, but but it doesn't matter. The music is so well done. They're a cover band, and it's unbelievable. So check those guys out mm. if you like seventies Chicago music. <laughs> Chicago, the band, not like the town. It's not like New York music. It's Chicago is the name of a great band. Just keep forgetting it's twenty twenty. Uh, all i can think about when i hear about chicago the band is the the dude that accidentally killed himself and like his last word he's holding a gun and his last words were don't worry it's not loaded and then pulls the trigger and then accidentally killed himself i just heard a little bit about that i totally forgot about that for the very first time just last week and i didn't even connect the two because i'm more, more interested in this russian band but the uh on the uh wtf podcast had on a guest joe montaigne was on and he grew up with the guys from chicago and him mm-hmm. and uh, uh mark Marin were talking about that incident and i had never heard about it until that moment now you bring it up again you know one of the mm-hmm. singers accidentally killed himself playing with a gun crazy yeah yeah yikes careful so mine is also a music one i'm gonna but it's a 
2000s, 2010s, is the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix. It's called Miss Americana. And I don't listen to Taylor Swift. I've never listened to Taylor Swift on purpose, but I love seeing the creative process for other people. And I use that as inspiration for me. And the documentary is great. She it, it, it goes talks about her from the beginnings to now and where she grew up in kind of like the the country music atmosphere and people kind of told her what to what to do and how to present herself and then she kind of grew up and grew out of that and wanted to be her own person and there's just some great behind the scenes she's she makes writing music seem so effortless just like it just shows her with an acoustic guitar or piano and she's just working on songs and they just flow out of her like it's nothing and I don't know. It's just really inspiring. And you don't have to be... A, I say this all the time. You don't have to be a fan of this person to enjoy this documentary. It's really good. You want to hear some weird, a weird small world story? There is a friend of mine that lives up here. We became friends in the last several years. And he was a style maker for huge brands. And one of his main clients was Taylor Swift and her whole machine so he he has a lot of behind the scenes stories of working with taylor swift he now lives up here at a farm but when taylor swift first started he was like part of her style team getting connected into Hmm. yeah Hmm. and he never says anything bad about her but he says funny stories around the people around her (laughs) funny inside track you just never know where you're gonna who you're gonna meet Mm -hmm. what they're gonna know Mm -hmm. yeah uh well mine is uh it's a show. I know it from a show, but I guess there's more than that. It's called Expedition Overland. I don't know. I don't think I've talked about this before. I am really interested in overlanding, which is like vehicle-based travel, you know, going uh, on long drives through the wilderness in a car with everything you need in the car kind of thing. Um, and so this Expedition Overland, I somebody told me about the show, and it's on uh, Amazon Prime. And I think I'm in season one, but there's multiple seasons of them going on these kind of expeditions. And it's three or four vehicles, land cruisers mostly, with uh, couples and friends all just driving and exploring different places. And so it's really interesting because you get to see what it takes to be able to have a vehicle that can drive you, you know, to the bottom of South America or to the back crazy parts of Alaska or whatever. And they're filming it themselves. They're going to just see all this beautiful stuff. They got cool trucks. So anyway, it's just an interesting thing if you're into overlanding at all. Um, The show that I've seen is on Amazon Prime. You can probably find it other places as well. But then I'm just now looking at their website for the first time, and they have a bunch of stuff on here. So they have information about their vehicles, uh, you know, breakdowns of all the gear they use, and links to all the different videos and shows that they have. It's pretty cool. So if you're into that, go check it out. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. I watch it on the treadmill. <laughs> so I have well, an, an elliptical uh, show. I only watch it while I'm on the elliptical, and that is it's called Vinyl uh, on HBO, and it, that's my reward for for doing exercise. So I can't I can't cool. watch it anywhere else. Yeah, interesting. All right, well, you guys got anything else? So I wanted to just say I'm going to be on uh, the Homeschool Podcast with Aaron from Mr. Fix-It. So check that out in a couple... I don't know if it's out right away, but we sh- we taped it this weekend. It went really well. It was a lot of fun. So. Cool. 
Um, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Later. <laughs> Bye, love. <laughs>